Hello. Hello. We're back. Back in the New York groove. Back in the New York groove. Uh, Thank you for... We gave you two 10 days ago, then took one weekend off to be in Miami for Chapo, and now we're back here recording. We might crack... Crack eight hundo today. Yeah, if we if I can read fast enough, I'll do a little auctioneer style. Oh yes. Uh, We're just gonna plow through. Just no no notes, no commentary. No notes, head down. I mean, what? Now that I've thought of this, us trying to finish this book as like a a limit uh, in calculus, where we get incrementally closer to the end but not quite finish it. I that's how that's what we're doing now. Yes, the cast will truly be infinite. It'll be so infinite. We'll never stop. Uh, all right. You, you want to... Um, let's get into it. Yeah, let's go. Straight to an endnote. Uh, <laughs> endnote 332, which is, again, the floating endnote that hap- just pops in the middle of two paragraphs. Okay, great. Uh, 17 November, year of the uh, dependent all undergarment. It's still my birthday. Just in case we haven't haven't remembered my birthday. It's my birthday. It's your birthday. It's your birthday month. My fucking birthday. Gracious me and mine, Pemula said, clutching the ankle of the leg he'd crossed to keep the foot from joggling. Rusk and Charles and Mrs. Incondenza are with him now. Shtit's been up to see him. That Loach has done a thorough reflex check. Don Wayne's going to be okay. okay. Remember what yes. happened? Yes. He had, start, he had gotten on the mic with yes. Trolch and he had started saying some crazy shit, but we didn't know what he said. Yes. Well, thank heavens for that load off everyone's mind, Pemula said. It was Pemulus, DeLint, Nwangi, and Watson in the Dean of Academic Affairs' office. Mrs. Ink's ventilator hissed and something up there whirred a little. DeLint was behind the high desk, looking like a mean little boy. Nobody'd said if anybody higher up than DeLint was going to show. Pemulus didn't know if this was good or bad. <laughs> Let's make perfectly sure we got this in order and in your words. Nwangi and Watson were window dressing. This was a DeLint's show. <laughs> His face kind of came apart when he smiled. With no prior knowledge of anything untoward, you're pulled from the locker room and stand out in the hall with several other students, which is your first knowledge anything's untoward with Wayne. Pemulus figured none of the administrators had heard the thing. They always shut their soundproof doors at 1435 hours. Pemulus had no idea what Wayne said about anything or Jim Trolch, who very prudently hasn't shown facial feature one in their room since the apocalyptic broadcast. It'd taken Pemulus about half the saliva-less sprint up to B-204 to figure out what had happened and to find his pilfered tenuates in the little Pecker's Seldane bottle. So here we have it confirmed. Yes. That uh, Trolch was, had stolen uh, his, his drins. His drins. Yeah. Okay, great. Pemulus sort of shuddered to imagine the impact of the drin on Wayne's Dane bottle. Wait, no, sorry. Uh, on Wayne's, <laughs> sorry, I messed that up. On Wayne's cherry red and virgin bloodstream. <laughs> the slight whir of his cortex working at full speed was masked by the hiss of the ventilator and the sound of whistles and play and Schtitz megaphone outside. I'm in there suiting up, waiting for Freer and doing a little BB intervention on Postlethwaite, who was in crisis, and <laughs> Zoltan and the Darkness come like spasming in, saying Trolch should jury-rig the Duke into candid sharing for the WETA broadcast. They say what? That Trolch had tricked Wayne into speaking candidly without awareness it's going out over WETA into all the rooms? Pemulus realized the limpness of this in like that anybody'd see that Wayne'd have to have been sitting right there with Trolch by the little old-time gunmetal handheld mic at Lateral <laughs> Alice's Alice Moore's curved desk. He'd already heard from Lateral Alice that it was more like Wayne had come rattling in and shoved Trolch aside and grabbed the mic and started ranting while Trolch and Lateral Alice Moore had looked on aghastly and that Dave Hard, down doing some maintenance to LAM's deactivated third rail, had been so aghasted he'd pitched forward narcoleptically and stayed like that with his face in the blue carpet and ass in the air for nearly an hour and that Lateral Alice's own stress had brought on an aggravation of her chronic cyanosis to the point where her whole face was still blue-tinged and between her knees when Pemulus had got to her. This was more like a general sort of impression, which I feel like I might have misbegotten from the agitation of the guys. Plus how completely unwainish Wayne sounded. Like, how could anybody ever have said that that shit if they thought it wasn't just them and Trolch alone? Much less Wayne, who, as we all know, is pretty much reserve in motion. <laughs> the Lint's nostrils got that pale flare they got, Pemulus knew, when he smelled horseshit and knew you knew it. 
Pemulus knows Dolin's been laying for him ever since the incident with the PWTA guy who started to wobble and then rant down at PWTA, which was a totally different type of deal. The irony was that, do you remember that? Um, yes, it's time to be real. Oh, it's time to be real. Let's see if I can yes. balance that. Uh, that's the, um, here, you take a picture of me and I'll take a picture of Infinite Jest. Yes. Let's see if I can make this happen. Yes, here we are. We're speaking. We're talking. Oh, such a flattering photo. Um, I'm trying to get the recorder in. Rem- remember Pemulus dosed the guy he was playing at the Port Washington? Yes, exactly. Uh, who started acting weird. Okay. Uh, so that was a totally different type of deal. The irony was that the Wayne dosing had been a total accident and in no way Pemulus's deal. If anybody, trolches. But the Cortex couldn't nail down any way to get this across without admitting to possession of a Drin, which given the shaky pharmaceutical ground since the Eschaton and Onanta urologist would be tantamount to clippertonizing himself. <laughs> the wonky showed almost blinding third world teeth but was saying nothing. Watson's eyes had this almost nicotator of stupidity film on them, less a dullness than a deadness, the dead porch light of nobody home at Shea Tex Watson. Pemulus saw the leaflet about Wayne and Mrs. I and deviant division in the papers DeLint held. That's the uh, pamphlet that he put up that says how many times does 17 go into 51? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, in your words, uh, your first knowledge of untowardness with Wayne. My first is I get out there still trying to counsel the postheimer, and here on the speakers, Wayne's doing what Keith observed may have been a sort of imitation of Dr. Tavis. It had been uncanny. It had made Stice look like a rank, rank amateur. Wayne had told Trolch to pretend he was some adolescent girl. This was adolescent Tavis asking her for a date. Pemula shuddered. He couldn't exactly remember all the little mannerisms, which Wayne clearly got locked down from Tavis always sitting next to him on the bus back from victories going at him nonstop. But in outline, it was Chucky Tavis coming up to some Canadian cheerleader or something and telling her he was going to be completely open with her. He had a terrible fear of rejection. He was telling her up front now that tomorrow he was going to ask her out for a date and was begging her not openly to reject him if she didn't want to go to think of some plausible excuse. Though, of course, he said he realized that what he was saying would make that excuse hard to believe now that he's openly asked her to make up an excuse. (laughs) Whereupon the whole academy hears Mr. Trolch prompt Wayne into making public castigations of his various peers and instructors. I've got to say, it did seem like Trolch had kind of orchestrated things somehow, sir, was my impression. Referring to Corbett Thorpe as a pretending to riffle through the paper so Pemulus have to see the 17 into 56 leaflet several times as it came up in the riffle. <laughs> I believe the expression was a palsied twit, Nwangi said to Delint. We love palsied. Palsied. Yes, palsied twit. And Francis Unwin, quote, has the on-court look of a cornered rodent. And Disney Arleith, the, quote, sort of man you always end up sitting next to at civic functions. Ms. Richardson Levy O'Byrne Chawaf as chair of some sort of committee dealing with the topic of the, quote, itty-bitty titty. (laughs) On Coach Stitt, quote, seeming as if he'd been, quote, denied some kind of vitally important moisture from birth henceforward. Our own Mr. Nwangi here being in rough quote, if I've got it, quote, the sort of fellow who will be in a Chinese restaurant with you and won't even share food or trade food. (laughs) This is all stuff that... John Wayne said said on Mike that is being recounted okay, by okay. Um, Delint. Sorry, it's a bit confusing. It's a bit confusing, quoting. but yes, this is all. And they're, uh, and they're accusing Pemulus like basically fed him these these exactly. things, right? Exactly. Meaning mean spirited. Nwangi threw his head back and beamed like he was blind. What was chilling was that in Wayne's scenario, <laughs> Tavis does succeed, Wayne projects, in seducing the Canadian cheerleader or whatever, even when he's totally open on the date about the fact that he deliberately told her he was afraid of rejection in the first place, only as a strategy to make him seem to her different from other boys, more honest and open, so that the scenario was that the honesty was so exhausting she'd basically just laid back exhausted and let her <laughs> let him ex her just to shut him up. Except, chillingly, he hadn't shut up. Uh, the uh, talking continues, including some sort of imitation of Dr. Tavis carrying on a monologue during the act of sexual intercourse, Dolan said, <laughs> trying to find it in the sheaf. On Bernadette Longley, 
Bernadette Longley looks like her hair grew her head instead of the other way around. <laughs> on Mary Esther Thode, a face like a pancake. On the Academy's own late founder and husband of the Dean of Ack Aff, so full of himself he could have shit limbs, unquote. <laughs> these, on are his, good, these are good burns. On his own doubles partner, Hal and Condensa. By all appearances, addicted to everything that is not tied down, cannot outrun him, and is fittable in the mouth. <laughs> I'm remembering the word as insertable. Pemulus kicked himself mentally. The pancake thing had been expanded to like 15 seconds as Wayne had sketched M.E. Thode's face as circular, burned, freckled, cratered, doughy, shiny, soggy, on and on. Plus, somehow even more chilling was that Pemulus knew from ink that Wayne's pseudo-Tavis I Live in Fear of Rejection ploy was actually in the top five or ten of the troubling strategies that Ink's brother Orin the punter called up to Hal about employing to ex-young married women. Okay, great. The honey stot here. Has, this, is the, this is like the burn book reading. It uh, is. Of the, uh, of the uh, tennis academy. Yeah, it's like t- whatever Tina Fey is a fat whore. <laughs> <laughs> Donnie Scott has, Stott has, we're informed, skin like an attache case and is a compelling advertisement for sunscreen. I myself am, here I quote, quote, a man who would not lend his own mother a quarter for a rubber tip for her crutch. (laughs) Is the emerging point that this is going to impact my getting to go on the Whataburger trip? (laughs) Nwangi crumpled and slapped his knee. His face literally looked like a very dark hatchet. Tex Watson reached down behind the console he was slumped in his chair by and brought out Pemulus's special yachting cap and dangled it like something you want a dog to jump for. From someplace under Nwangi's chair were brought out two pharmaceutical scales, several jeweler's loops, the tow truck supply of empty sterile Visine bottles, and plus every bottle from Trolch's bedside table, which clearly Trolch had eaten some enormous wedge of putrid deal-cutting cheese. (laughs) Pemulus tasted the metallic taste of a seriously anxious stomach. I request to see the Dean of Ack Aff before any of this goes further. That's Pemulus? Uh, d- that would be um, Avril because he's clearly... Well, is Pemulus a- asking? Yeah, he wants to see her why, because he would like to pull his He'd like to blackmail her. Yes. <laughs> we have again Ms. Heath, apparently on someone's mind very much today, now said to be the sort of person who, quote, cries at card tricks. We have a Rick Dunkel who could not find his own bottom with both hands and a nautical compass of exacting precision. We have a return engagement with Ms. Heath, described as dwelling almost at the edge of some vast continent of menstrual hysteria. We have our own beloved Tex sitting right here, described as having a tiny liquid-filled nubbin at the top of the spine in lieu of higher cortex function. Obs, no kidding. Something pressing I have to interface about with Mrs. Inc. Tell her it concerns U.S.-Canadian relations. <laughs> Nwangi's laugh was high and had the slight tea kettle whiz to it of the laughs of large black men the world over. She sends her, her your regards, the dean said to tell you. He slapped his knee three times. Delint looked a little less happy because he clearly didn't know what any of it was about and didn't like playing coded messenger, but he still looked pretty happy. Michael Matthew Pemulus, the Academy's Dean of Academic Affairs, said to tell you the administration's too naturally concerned about the state of one of our two very finest current talents, who it's clear he's been unwittingly, unwittingly, unwittingly dosed with an artificial stimulant prohibited by federal statute, ONANTA regulations, and the Enfield Tennis Academy honor code specs on artificial substances to permit itself the satisfaction of giving you the dean's very best regards and her wish that, quote, may the road rise up to meet you whitherever your future travels lie. DeLint probed his ear. I think that was it in a nutshell. Pemulus got very cool and brass mask-faced. He was breathing very clearly through his nose, and the office air seemed (laughs) mentholated. Everything got very cool and formal inside and glycerin clear. Obs, before anything gets nailed in stone, that will all, I promise you, and Mrs. Inc., will all of us regret. Delint said, I was given to understand you can either finish out the term for credit or you can hit the trail with your little sailing cap full of pockets on a stick like a bandana to some other Onanta institution and see if they'll take a senior without any kind of positive reference, which the sense I get is the administration says fat chance on any kind of reference. Tex Watson said something about urine. <laughs> Pemulus recrossed his leg. Delint looked at Nwangi. 
I believe the kid is speechless. I believe he has nothing to say. I don't believe it. And something about you're invited to shout whatever you threaten the administration to shout about from the highest hill you can find, uh, which pretty soon won't be this one. Noangi got out through laughter. And that the administration of office doorknobs have been rubberized and grounded. The administrative files all recryptographilated. Everyone's room's mirrors re-anodized and sealed with plastic wood, Mrs. Ink said to tell you. The little deck of cards riffle of the wings of the shit fairy, which he privately envisions as a kind of violet incubus with the Dawes saggy frown. Pemulus scratched very coolly next to his ear. And this affects the Whataburger, my chances? <laughs> Delint told Pemulus he just fucking slayed him while Pe Watson looked from face to face and Nwangi rocked and wheezed and slapped at his knee and Pemulus, closed-mouthed and breathing with terrible ease, found their good humor almost infectious. Uh, wow, Pemulus is fucked. He is, he, the shit fairy has come, has come for him. I mean, I get, what, but what is their imagine? What are they imagining with the? Uh, I wonder what uh, Avril is imagining with regards to the blackmail. Just I'm, that no I'm one guessing will him. he that no one will believe him. I think she's that hoping no that he'll him. be gaslit uh, yes. because he has so egregiously. I mean, I mean, I guess by uh, you know the the strategy there is by so thoroughly informing everyone about what he actually thinks he has no friends left who would believe him yeah i'm uh, still not, not quite sure what is the transmission of all of his uh burn book style burns to john wayne john wayne must be listening my uh, guess is john wayne sits with them at lunch he does sit with them he doesn't sit alone okay and he's just very quiet and very businesslike because all he thinks about is tennis and uh um uh, uh, his homeland of Canada, but also so he's clearly, but he's he's clearly been observing. Yeah, but then also, what is the accusation there that you know those are all Pemulus's words and not John Wayne's? Well, I don't know. Maybe he went to some kind of mania. Uh, he he just went Pemulus on everybody. I guess maybe it's stuff it's, that it's he's not, been thinking yeah. too, but been unable to say, and the speed loosened his tongue. Yes. Uh. Why else might a Canadian guy just be sitting there quietly listening at ETA? Hmm? Mm. Hmm. You want to do a little more so we can hit? Yes, please. Hit let's, hit, let's hit 800. Oh, uh, 795. Yes. Five more pages. Let's do it. The most distant and obscure Tuesday PM meeting listed in the little white Metro Boston recovery options booklet, which takes us to note 333, put out by the Mass Division of SAS, listing meetings of all but the very most lunatic fringe type 12-step programs in city, sub, and exurbs, all up and down both shores, the Cape and Nantucket. Sorry, let me just rearrange. I lost my other bookmark. Uh, back to the text. Booklet. The incisorless, nostril-pierced girl down at the Ennett house had given him looked to be a males-only thing at 1730 hours out in Natick, almost in Framingham. Framingham or Framingham? Framingham? Framingham. Framingham. At, I'm just going with it. At something with a location on Route 27 that the MBRO booklet listed as only QRS32A. Hal, who has had no last class period, rushed through PMs, dispatching Shaw 1 and 3 by the time the regular PMs were even warming up, then skipping left leg circuits in the weight room, and was also foregoing tonight's lemon chicken with potato rolls, all to blast out to Natick in time to check this anti-substance fellowship meeting business out. He wasn't sure why, since it didn't seem to be any kind of slobbering inability to abstain that was the problem. He hadn't had such as a milligram of a substance of any kind since the 30-day urological condonation of last week. The issues, the horrific way his head's felt increasingly since he abruptly abandoned all hope, which takes us to note 334. Hal's pemulous-inspired trope for putting down the secret daily Bob H., which started as a wry, dark mental joke, and now within a week has become the way Hal characterizes abstinence to himself, which any Boston AA would tell him isn't a very promising way to think about it at all in terms of <laughs> self-pity. Back to the text. 
It wasn't just nightmares and saliva. It was as if his head perched on the bedpost all night now and in the terribly early a.m. when Hal's eyes snapped open immediately said, glad you're up. I've been wanting to talk to you and then didn't let up all day, having at him like a well-revved chainsaw all day until he could finally try to fall unconscious, crawling into the rack, wretched to await more bad dreams. 24 sevens of feeling wretched and bereft. Dusk was coming earlier. Hal signed out at the portcullis and blasted down the hill and took the tow truck up Com Ave to the CC Reservoir and then south on Hammond, the same deadening route as the ETA conditioning run, except when he hit Boylston Street, he turned right and struck out west. Once it cleared West Newton, Boylston Street became Shunpike Route 9, the major west suburb commuter alternative to the suicidal I-90, and nine suburb-hopped hop, suburb serpentine all the way west to Natick and Route 27. Hal crawled through traffic on a major flow road that had once been a cow path. Has the big dig been completed in this universe? I don't think so, right? I don't know. Well, I think it gets completed in our universe sometime between uh, the 90s and 2007-ish. Yeah. So. I'm not sure if if he's imagined it. By the time he was in Wellesley Hills, the sky's combustionous orange had deepened to the hellish crimson of a fire's last embers. Darkness fell with a clunk shortly after and Hal's spirits with it. He felt pathetic and absurd even going to check this Narcotics Anonymous meeting thing out. Everybody always flashed his or her brights at the tow truck because the headlamps were set so senselessly high on the truck's grill. The little portable disc player had been detached by either Pemulus or Axford and not returned. W-Y-Y-Y was a ghostly thread of jazz against a sea of static. AM had only corporate rock and reports that the gentle administration had scheduled and then canceled a special spontaneous disseminated address to the nation on subjects unknown. NPR had a kind of roundtable on potential subjects. George Will's laryngectomy (laughs) prosthesis sounded hideous. Is this imagining an incredibly old but still hanging on NPR guy? That's pretty good. Hal preferred silence and traffic sounds. He ate two of three $4 bran muffins he'd whipped in for at a Cleveland Circle gourmet bakery, grimacing as he swallowed because he'd forgotten a tonic to wash them down, then put in a mammoth plug of Kodiak and spat periodically into his special NASA glass, which fit neatly in the cup holder down by the transmission, and passed the last 15 minutes of the dull drive considering the probable etymological career of the word anonymous. (laughs) (laughs) All the way he supposed from the Aeolic, oh, I cannot read this. uh, Am I looking at ancient Greek? Oh, yeah. Uh, Through (laughs) Thin's BS 1580s reference to Anonymal Chronicles and whether it was joined way back somewhere at the Saxonic taproot to the Old English on ain, which supposedly meant all as one or as one body, and became uh, uh, Chinawolf, uh, eventual standard inversion to the classic Anon, maybe. Then called up on his mnemonic screen, the developmental history since BS 35 of the initial substance group AA, on which there'd been such a lengthy entry uh, in the discursive OED that Hal hadn't had to hit any sort of outside database to feel more or less factually prepared to drop into its spinoff NA and at least give the thing an appraising once over. He's got like a Wikipedia on a mobile he, unit. In his brain, basically. Oh, okay. How can summon a kind of mental Xerox of anything he'd ever read and basically read it all over again at will, which talent the abandonment of hope hasn't so far compromised, the withdrawal's effects being more like emotional slash salivo digestive. The rock faces on either side of the truck when 27 goes through blasted hills of rock, the very fringes of the Berkshire's penumbra are either granite or nice. G-N-E-I-S-S Nice I assume some kind of rock formation Yeah How for a while also practices saying My name's Mike Mike, hi Hey there, name's Mike Etc. into the truck's rear view By 15 minutes east of Natick It becomes obvious that the little booklet's Terse QRS Designates a facility called Quabbin Recovery Systems Which is easy to find Roadside ad signs starting to announce the place several clicks away, each sign a little different and designed to form a little like narrative of which actual (laughs) arrival at QRS would be the climax. 
Even Howe's late father was too young, really, to remember Burma shave signs. <laughs> I'll have to look into what that is. Quabbin Recovery Systems is set far back from Route 27 on a winding, groomed gravel road flanked all the way up by classy, old-time standing lanterns whose glass shades are pebbled and faceted like candy dishes and seem more for mood than illumination. <laughs> then the actual buildings, driveways, and even more winding little road that's barely more than a tunnel through meditative pines and poor-postured Lombardy poplars. Once off the highway, the whole nighttime scene out here in Exerbia, Boston's true boonies, seems ghostly and circumspect. Hal's tires crunch, co uh, crunch cones in the road. Some sort of bird shits on his windshield. The driveway broadens gradually into a, like, delta and then a parking lot of mint white gravel, and the physical QRS is right there, cubular and brooding. The br building's one of those late model, undeformed cubes of rough panel brick and granite Quoins? Quoins? Q U O I N S. I'm sure. reaching the limits of my vocabulary by page seven. Yeah, well, that seems like he is as well. Yeah. He's just pulling words out of, out of his He'd ass. He'd just be saying anything. <laughs> Illuminated moodily from below by more classy lanterns, it looks like a building block from some child titan's toy chest. Its windows are the smoky brown kind that in daylight become dark mirrors. Howe's late father had publicly repudiated this kind of window glass in an interview in Lens and Pain when the stuff first came out. <laughs> Lens and Pain. I love. I just love. I, even though he's such a mess, uh, such a you know a sloppy drunk, uh, he was so busy. He was always just participating in industries. Howe's father. Yes. I, I kind of. <laughs> kind of relate. <laughs> uh, look, I'll give an interview to anybody, basically anyone. I'll give asks. an interview to everyone and I love to be busy. I forgot how detailed the infinite atlas is. Mm. Well, we will have to celebrate with, dare I say it, a trip to Boston when, yes. when all is said and done. What is the name of this institute again? It's Quabbin Recovery Systems, Q-U-A-B-B-I-N. I'm sure he made it up. Right now, lit from inside, the windows have a sort of bloody polluted aspect. A good two-thirds of the lot's parking places say reserved for staff, which strikes Hal as odd. The tow, <laughs> the tow truck tends to diesel and chuff after de-ignition, finally subsiding with a shuddering fart. It's dead quiet except for the hiss of light traffic down on 27, past all the trees. Only TP link workers and marathon-type commuters live in exurban Natick. It's either way colder out here or else a front's been coming in while Hal drove. The lot's piney air has the ethyl sting of winter. QRS's big doors and lintel are more of that reflector shade glass. There's no obvious bell, but the doors are unlocked. They open in that sort of pressurized way of institutional doors. The savannah-colored lobby is broad and still and has a vague medical-slash-dental smell. Its carpet's a dense, low, tan dacronil weave that evacuates <laughs> sound. There's a circular, high-countered nurse's station or reception desk, but nobody's there. The whole place is so quiet, Hal can hear the squeak of blood in his head. <laughs> the 32A that follows QRS in the girl's little white booklet is presumably a room number. Hal has on a non-ETA jacket and carries the NASA glass he spits in. He'd have to spit even if he didn't have chew in. The Kodiak's almost like a cover or excuse. There's been a couple times where I've had a specific kind of cold where I've uh, salivated greatly. It sucks so bad. <laughs> when you're over-expectorating. I'm sorry, not not to be incredibly gross, but I, I once went to visit my little sister where she went to college. Uh, and we went to the beach, and it was like March, and I had like the, the remnants of a cold. And I had to, like, we went to the beach, and I was just like spitting in the sand because I could not figure out oh, what gross. else to do. How gross is that? Yes. God, no wonder we all uh, died of COVID. We're just all spitting and coughing everywhere. everywhere. Sorry. Don't. Don't judge me. Um, and now I've lost my I'm place. Still, I'm still trying to find Natick on the, the infinite map atlas. There is no map or you are here type directory on view in the lobby. The lobby's heat is intense and close, but kind of porous. It's in a sort of uneasy struggle with the radiant chill of all the smoked glass of the entrance. The lamps out in the lot and off along the driveway are blobs of sepia light through the glass. Inside, cove lighting at the seams of walls and ceiling produce an indirect light that's shadowless and seems to rise from the room's objects themselves. It's the same lighting and lion-colored carpeting in the first long haul Hal tries. The room numbers go up to 17, and then after Hal t turns a sharp corner, start at 34A. <laughs> the, room door, the room's doors are 
false blonde wood but look thick and private, flush in their frames. There's also the smell of stale coffee. The walls' color scheme is somewhere between puce and mature eggplant skin, kind of nauseous against the sandy tan of the carpet. All buildings with any kind of health theme to them have this thin, sick, sweet dental sub-odor to them. QRS also seems to have some sort of balsamy air freshener going on in the ventilated ventilation system too, but it doesn't quite cover the sweet medical stink or the bland, sour smell of institutional food. Hal hasn't heard one human sound since he came in. The place's silence has that glittery sound of total silence. His footfalls make no sound on the dacronil. He feels furtive and burglarish and holds the NASA glass down at his side and the N.A. booklet higher up and cover out as a sort of explanatory ID. There are computer-enhanced landscapes on the walls, little low tables with glossy pamphlets, a framed print of Picasso's seated Harlequin, and nothing else that wasn't just institutional bullshit, visual Muzak. Without any sound to his footfalls, it's like the gauntlets of doors just glide by. I find this very... Any, anytime you have to do something institutional mm. in some place that you've never been before, the oh. first time that you go in and you don't know where anything oh. is or where to go, oh. finding a new doctor, even if it's as simple as like going to a new doctor's office. The foreboding of... Uh, yeah. Especially, God, in New York, half the doctor's offices are just in old apartment buildings. Yeah. You feel like you're like breaking in, on, in or, someone's or, house. Or someplace that is housed like anonymous offices for a hundred years yeah uh, and, and feels like it mm-hmm. it feels like you're about to find the, the like run into the ghosts of dead accountants <laughs> in new york do, trying to find places like this yeah he's really he's really nailing it yeah um the quiet has a kind of menace the whole cubular building seems to have <laughs> to hold the tensed menace of a living thing that's chosen to hold itself still if you asked Hal to describe his feelings as he looked for room 32A, the best you don't have he, to ask because you're go, you're going to tell us. The best he could do would be to say he wished he were somewhere else and feeling some way besides how he felt. <laughs> 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 well, that's the thing. He he can't access his feelings. He's yes. like cut off. His mouth pours spit. The glasses one third full and Ugh. heavy in his hand, and not much fun to look at. He's missed the glass a couple of times and marred the tan carpet with dark spit. After two 90-degree turns, it's clear the hallway's run is a perfect square around the cube's ground level. He's seen no stairs or entrances to stairways. He empties the NASA glass rather gooily into a potted rubber tree's dirt. QRS's building may be one of those infamous rubicular cubes that look topologically undeformed but is actually impossible to negotiate on the inside. But the numbers after the third corner start at 18, and now Hal can hear either very distant or very muffled voices. He carries the N.A. booklet in front of him like a crucifix. He has about $50 a U.S. and another $100 in eagle, leaf, and broom-emblemized Onan script, having had no idea what sort of introductory costs might be involved. Aww. QRS didn't purchase prime native natic acreage and the cutting edge services of a Sao Paulo school geometric minimalist architect with just altruistic goodwill. That was for sure. Room 32A's wood grain door was just as emphatically shut as all the others, but the muffled voices were behind this one. The meeting was listed in the book as starting at uh, 1730 and it was only around 1720 and Hal thought the voices might signify some sort of pre-meeting orientation for people who've come out for the first time, sort of tentatively, just to scout the whole enterprise out so he doesn't knock. He still has this intractable habit of making a move like he's straightening a bow tie before he enters a strange room. (laughs) And except for the thin rubber sheaths, the doorknobs on the Quabbin Recovery System's doors are the same at ETA, Flat bars of brass toggle bolted to the latch mechanism, so you have to push the bar down instead of turning anything to open the door. But the meeting is underway, apparently. It isn't near big enough to create a mood of anonymity or casual spectation. Nine or ten adult middle-class males are in the warm room on plastic chairs with legs of molded steel tubing. Every one of the men has a beard, and each wears chinos and a sweater, and they all sit the same way, that Indian cross-legged style with their hands on their knees and their feet under their knees, and they all wear socks with no footwear or winter jackets anywhere in sight. (laughs) Hal eases the door shut and sort of slinks along the wall to an empty chair, all the time conspicuously brandishing the meeting booklet. 
The chairs are placed in no discernible order, and their orange clashes nastily with the room's own colors, wall, and ceiling, the color of Thousand Island dressing. <laughs> a color scheme with unplaceable but uneasy associations for Hal, and more of the lion skin Dacronel carpet. And the warm air in 32A <laughs> is. Thousand Island dressing. <laughs> Uh, in 32A is stuffy with CO2 and unpleasantly scented with the aroma of soft male middle-aged bodies not wearing footwear, a stale, meaty, cheesy smell, more nauseous even than the ETA locker room after a Mrs. Clark Tex-Mex fiesta. Uh, maybe just a couple more paragraphs just to give you a taste of what we're expecting next. Yeah, so we we're at 800. 800. Nice. Okay, great. The only guy... How in far the, until the actual break? Uh, ooh, I think it's... It's yeah, a bit. It's a bit. Let's do, yeah, let's do a few more. Yeah. The only guy in the meeting to acknowledge Hal's entrance is at the front of the room. A man Hal would have to call almost morbidly round. <laughs> His body nearly leaf-sized and globularly round and the smaller but still large globe of a head atop it. His socks plaid and his legs not all the way crossable, so it looks like he might pitch disastrously backward in his chair at any minute. Smiling warmly at Hal's winter coat and NASA glass as Hal slinks and sits and slumps down low. The round man's chair is positioned under a small white magic marker blackboard, and all the other chairs approximately face it. And the man holds a magic marker in one hand and holds what looks quite a bit like a teddy bear to his chest with the other, and wears chinos and a cable knit Norwegian sweater the color of toast. His hair is that waxy sort of blonde, and he's got the blonde eyebrows and creepy blonde eyelashes and violently flushed face of a true Norwegian blonde, and his little beard is an imperial so sharply waxed it looks like a truncated star. The morbidly round blonde man's pretty clearly the leader of the meeting, possibly a high-ranking official of Narcotics Anonymous, <laughs> whom Howe could casually approach about tracts and texts to buy and study afterwards. Another middle-aged guy up near the front is crying, and he too holds what looks like a bear. The blonde brows hike up and down as the leader says, I'd like to suggest we men all hold our bears tight and let our inner infant non-judgmentally listen to Kevin's inner infant expressing his grief and loss. They're all at subtly different angles to Hal, who slumped low over by the wall in the second-to-last row, but it turns out after some subtle, casual neck craning that, sure enough, all these middle-class guys in at least their 30s are sitting there clutching teddy bears to their sweatered chests. And identical teddy bears, plump and brown and splay-limbed and with a little red corduroy tongue protruding from the mouths, so the bears all look oddly throttled. <laughs> the room is menacingly quiet now, except for the sibilance of the heating vents and the sobbing guy Kevin and the plip of Hal's saliva hitting the bottom of the empty glass rather more loudly than he might have wished. The back of the crying guy's neck is turning redder and redder as he clutches, clutches his bear and rocks on his hams. All right, great. Let's stop there. <laughs> what do you think is happening here? Uh, is how at the right meeting? <laughs> I imagine that this is the end of one meet, the end of the previous meeting before the beginning of the new, the next meeting. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Is this like a? Uh, is this like a molestation meeting? Maybe. I I, I won't say. Uh, it. How much of this do you explicitly remember at every part? Is there is like, this? I totally forgot this. But do you know what this is? What I know the joke what this is, is now. I know what this is now, but I completely forgot, forgot about that, this segment. Okay. I wouldn't have been able to call it up if you yeah. had asked me. Uh, yes, I imagine this is some kind of a uh, slightly more serious meeting or not, not, but some of, of a slightly more acute trauma, yeah, than uh. And not as wide ranging as perhaps, you know, yes. it, a bunch of soft men clutching teddy bears is not your usual narcotics anonymous meeting when you consider usually Randy Lenz goes to those <laughs> yes, kind of places. Yes, exactly. Um, but I'm sure he'll Look behave. Look at all these fucking guys with their bears. Uh, I'm sure he'll behave uh, appropriately and without any acute anxiety towards it. Yeah, I'm sure he'll have, he'll have lots of fun. And he only has to uh, endure it for 10 minutes and then he can get onto the regular NA meeting. Mm-hmm. Yes. You should be able to wear a mask to your first NA or AA meeting. I mean, you wear I mean, you don look, the veil, uh you can wear you can wear a, a mask anytime. Uh, look, I I I not I should not be dictating a policy. I don't go through it, but it just seems like if you if it was allowed like the first time that you went that you could wear like one of those domino masks just to give that e extra layer of 
an- anonymity. Yes. You know? Yeah. Ultimate. Just like maybe the first time you went to like a church or something. If yeah. you were like testing out a new church. Yeah. You're like, I'm just going to wear like a, you know, a Phantom of the Opera mask don't, or something. So it's like, me. don't look at me. Yeah. I mean, I'm not comfortable enough. Uh, I mean, maybe that made it a lot easier. Well, I guess it was the the duo. Ooh, boy. COVID for AA groups must have been very difficult. I believe a lot of them went to Zoom. Yes. Which has its own, you know, set of yeah, problems. Yeah, you got to set up your Zoom so it only says your first name very, uh, you know, very specifically. Although the weird thing about Zoom, and I, I, I would have to ask anyone who uh, might have attended something like this over COVID, uh, the geographic limitations are gone and you could probably go to an AA meeting in Portugal if you wanted to. That's true. Maybe that'd be fun. <laughs> like I would I would like to hear a Portuguese guy share with <laughs> with everyone about Hey, they probably have way different experiences since every drug is legal there. <laughs> oh god. Um yeah, I I'm sure it was in some ways had be- just like everything. I'm sure in some ways it had uh benefits and in other ways it had uh, detractions. Um, I mean, it would be nice to get your group together without leaving your house, but there is something about having to physically go to a physical space that provides a sense of spiritual solace to things. Yeah, also especially during a time when it uh, is uh, deeply stressful and perhaps is driven, driven people yes. to uh, su- return to substance abuse. It would suck not to be able to go to, to, go to a meeting. The, your place, which might be a triggering, a triggering spot. I wonder if there are any rogue A meetings that you know flouted uh, um, group gatherings. They were like, honestly, we need, they're like, it's more, it's more important to stay sober than it is to get COVID right now. I honestly bet that there were a decent, uh, decent number of people that were like, honestly, if you need it, fuck it, we're going to keep doing it. Yeah. Um, hey, just how like you know, uh, essential businesses had to stay open. Yeah. Essential support networks. Essential support networks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That I mean, we already kind of talked about it, but that that sense of going to a foreign institutional place, meeting up with a you know, God, I don't know. Even remembering like the first time that I was like going to DSA meetings or something. Yeah. You know, where you're like walking into a strange school In or the, something yeah, after hours. Yeah. And you're like. Should I be here? Am I allowed to? Is this legal? Yeah. Especially as an adult walking into somebody else's school for something. Oh, yeah. Every time I vote, I feel like that. Yeah. Yes. Walking into the local <laughs> elementary school in the daytime on a, on a weekday to go vote yeah. is always a little bit like, I see the signs that say, vota aqui. <laughs> uh, but is it, can, is it cool? Why? <laughs> Me? Uh yeah, when I used to volunteer at like de-escalation trainings, they would always be in like weird community centers and in, in mm-hmm. various places in Brooklyn. And then you'd see signs up for like day to day, you know, yeah. it, addressing day to day problems that you didn't have to deal with. But yes, exactly. And then you'd be like, oh God, what what is this? What place? is happening? Like, what is happening? Yes. Yeah, uh, that staff members be aware on the of the issue on the second floor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you must door must be locked or uh, you know. Think about the consequences of your actions. And it's true that every single one of those signs has a little stor- nightmarish story behind it. You don't put up a sign unless <laughs> something, uh, has something gone wrong. <laughs> ha- went wrong. Yes. Uh, Especially in places like that where everybody is uh, stretched to the very thinnest breaking point. <laughs> yeah. Where nobody is doing anticipatory management of anything. Yeah. You know, it's all reactive. It's all, how did we fix the last problem? My favorite sign addressing uh, things that need to be signs is just signs that say moose. <laughs> Like within a mile, I'm just like, oh god, that moose! <laughs> that moose was probably very surprising for a long enough that they're like, we need, we need to put, we need to institutionalize this moose. People keep getting surprised by this moose. Yeah, we need to make sure this moose is not surprising. <laughs> we can't get rid of the moose. Yes, no, we can get rid nor of the surprise. We. <laughs> uh, R.I.P. Uh, Pemulus's academic career. Not sure how he's going to get his way out of this one. Uh, boy, it like, uh, sure seems like uh, old Pemulus isn't going to wriggle his way out of this one. It's uh, you know, let's consider the the, the longitudinal arc of Pemulus. He he's the he's the paranoid king. I'm paranoid, but am I paranoid enough? Yes. Constantly closing doors to have private conversations, looking around. Uh, you know, he's got hiding places uh, built in, uh, elaborate systems for you know getting and disseminating information, code words. Yes. Please commit a crime. And then what what took him down? His fucking roommate. Yes. Uh, he broke the circle of trust. He ate cheese. At the end of the day, you can't do crimes if you can't, if, if someone folds, you're done. It doesn't That's matter like how good the system cliche, is. Only uh, two people can keep a secret if one of them's dead. <laughs> uh, 
Well, yeah, wait, so sorry, I was ha- just having difficulty. Trolch was the one who... Did Trolch just, like, root through his stuff? So here, here's here's what I believe happened. Uh, Pamulus had a bunch of stuff. Trolch, I do believe, was part of the kind of inner circle that would go get drunk at the local pub, mm-hmm. smoke pot. Um, like, he, they were they were party friends. Pamulus is obviously the most party of all the friends and the instigator and the one who was buying the, the punkin, drugs. The punkin is instigator. He's the punkin instigator, the Pemmin instigator. Yes. Uh and so Trolch knew about certain things that he did. Like he, for example, knew about his drin habit. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, at some point, stole some drins and put them in his Seldane bottle to use for his personal use. So he was, uh, he was stealing, stealing from the criminal, which is never a yes. good thing. Yes, or you shouldn't steal from your dealer, certainly but, not. And then so he, he stole it from Pemulus. Uh, John Wayne took what he thought was Seldane, what was actually Speed. John Wayne uh, goes to Trolch's radio hour or whatever it's called, the announcements, and he... Word vomits. Word vomits. It draws the attention of at least someone on the administrative side. Uh, Trolch is obviously the one that's closest to him at the time being. He's brought in for interrogation, uh, and he says, um, yeah, it's it's my roommate's drugs. Great. That's basically what I thought happened, but the, you, I, as always, the way that it's written makes it a little uh, difficult to follow. Yeah, it's confu- a bit confusing to hear aloud with all the dialogue and stuff. Um, but the, ma- the main thing to note is that Pemulus's trump card of knowing that Avril was fucking John Wayne is useless because it worked when there was no evidence that he was doing anything wrong other than his sl- a strong sneaking suspicion yeah. that he was a little rotter. Uh, but he once it was proven... Without beyond a shadow of a doubt, uh, it doesn't matter what he says against Avril. He will be thought of as a drug addicted, sketchy criminal liar. Um, not great. Yeah, not great. Um, Sorry, we're watching tennis. And there's incredible slow mo of uh, uh, this. A, must be a coach, coach? in the uh, yeah. in the Raptors. Two hundred forty frames per second. They got like a shot of him picking his nose earlier, which I thought was pretty funny. That was funny. Um, yeah, you know, wh- oh, I remember what I was going to say now. Uh, you know how Pemulus really could have solved this? Yeah. Be better at tennis. That's a great, you were so right. You because are totally the, right. Because the, it is explicit that John Wayne is not getting punished because he is the good tennis player. He's the best boy. Even though he is the one who is in this situation caught on drugs. Yeah. Um, but they can't get rid of their number one. You can't get you can't get rid of your number one boy, and it's clear that it's a an, an aberrant thing that has happened. Uh, also, the other Pamela should be better at tennis because then that places him beyond yes. Uh, um, what's the word? Jurisdiction. Uh, the other thing he can do is stop rubbing in the fact that he knows things like Avril and jo- uh, John Wayne having sex because he put up those flyers that about uh, yes. Uh, you know their their union. Uh, he he cannot help himself. No, he's always he's has to go one shit. step too far, uh, and it then creates literal written proof that he uh, he can no longer find a, a successful time at ETA. Uh, look, if <laughs> if I'm if I'm doing career management for him, I'm like, well, you fucked up. You're gonna need to go into some kind of remedial normie school. Give up any kind of tennis dreams. Uh, finish out your your high school, and then uh, if I'm gonna suggest a career for you uh crisis pr management <laughs> he's a quick thinker yes it was you know he's got so much potential right he's he's yes. quick-witted he's good at um math yes he's really good at math like you there's a world where he just goes to his regular um you know da- down market boston public school and gets a a full ride to mit on uh on merit but maybe he's not good enough for that um, I think in general there should be better ways of of coaxing uh, malbehaved children into using their powers for good or at least productive work. Because I don't know, it's like when you're a kid, there are, the realm of possibilities of of pr- professions are like, oh, if you're not getting into like one of the classic post doctorate things, you're mm-hmm. like fucking up or failing. But it's mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I think there's a motivational way you could take a 17 year old outside and be like, you're really good at lying. <laughs> You're really good, and you seem to love it. Mm-hmm. If you put your nose, and you can get away with a lot of stuff. If you put your nose down and try 
not even hard, mm-hmm. like medium, like yeah. put in the bare minimum and don't fuck up for like four more years. You yeah. can get a job where they'll pay you to they'll lie. They'll pay you to lie. We'll and you, I'm not politics. even talking like a lawyer yeah. where you have to go to a secondary school. I'm like talking about like getting a PR degree. Yeah. Campaign. Like campaign a campaign manager, manager or something yeah. like that. And again, you don't have to go to a fancy ass school. You have to get like a C plus at a mediocre high school at a mediocre college for like four years. Yeah. I think you can pull that out of your ass. He's a he's a money getter too. Yeah. The, I mean, the first time we, I mean, this is the central question of Pemulus is the first time we meet him, I believe, is with that uh, sort of visiting each of the big buddy little buddy scenes, and he's playing three card Monty with them. Yes, exactly. So like he's he's a hustler at he's the end hustler. of the day. It's just what do you hustle on? And uh, you know, as Don Gately would be a perfect example of someone who has promise in a sport, uh, football. And then he gets completely overwhelmed by drugs, and then he loses that promise. Mm-hmm. He's got, he's a, sh- a shadow self of, of Pemulus in a way. Yes. Uh, but Don, unlike Pemulus, is not necessarily a sharp guy he's or more a, of a quick gentle guy. Giant. He's a gentle giant who can kick your ass without much effort. Mm-hmm. Seems like you can basically just stand there and he can grab you with one hand and throw you across the room. I'm sure we've like talked Kong. about this years ago, but we were just talking about that Reacher show. Mm, yes, he's a big guy. Uh, with Will the other day. Yeah. Uh, the Reacher guy. I'm sure I mentioned him as a potential Don casting, right? Yes, you have. Well, someone else also sent me, uh, DM'd me a picture of the, it's a picture going around of Zac Efron with, oh, a, his, very stri- his... with a Prince Valiant haircut, yes. which is exactly the kind of haircut that Don has. He looks very jacked, very square, very Don. Zac Efron, could, I, would love, I would love to give him a chance at a real dirtbag character because he is, <laughs> he, he always plays like kind of af- like sometimes threat- threatening, um, but more like puppy dog characters, like even in the beach bum, you know? Yeah. Where he is kind of an asshole, but he is also like. Oh. He's always like a bit, a himbo with a heart of gold yeah. uh, at the end of the day. So. I yeah. Don't know. You got anything else for this one? We we knocked, notched 50 minutes. Yeah. Which, um, which positively flew by on this one. I've been, I've been reading fast. I got, I got nothing else. We'll see. We'll check in next time of what the fuck happens to hell at this weird institution. Okay, great. Well, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I, I, I think he's good. I think he'll, he'll be relieved once the, uh, the actual A. Let's hope. Let's hope it helps him. <laughs> Let's hope he can come in. I don't think I've correctly in. predicted anything that's happening in you've, this book. You've done some, you've done some accurate predictions. I can't remember I can't what, remember but you definitely yeah. have. Eagle-eared listeners, point them out. It's time to come in and hang in there. <laughs> it's time to come in. From the, you know, just AA slogans. Uh, you know, the smi- the smiley face guy. Yeah, the, yeah. the sergeant at arms is right outside the door. All right. Watch out. Uh, we'll probably get one. We'll probably get another one of these to you on Sunday. Yeah. If all goes well. Yeah. Uh, all right. 